Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. want to talk about one of the TV programs that I find the most annoying, and that is Britain's Got Talent. I say that, but I still find myself watching it occasionally, uh, and sometimes I find myself on YouTube searching for greatest auditions of all time on Britain's Got Talent, for some reason. Um, Anyone know who might be among the most watched auditions on the TV programme, Britain's Got Talent? Anyone got any ideas? Susan Boyle. Susan Boyle! As if planted in the audience. Congregation, sorry. Uh, So let me tell you you a little bit about Susan Boyle. Susan was bullied as a child. She had a really tough life for many reasons. And she lived with her elderly mother in an ex-council house in Scotland, and she cared for her until her mother passed away. Now, Susan had occasionally sang at the local community centre uh, and church and village hall, other small events. And after her mum died, Susan stopped singing for two years. Didn't know that, did you? Um, until she went on Britain's Got Talent, the audition. Now, Susan was, I don't know if you've seen the audition, I know you'll all be looking for it later, she was quite a quirky character. And as Susan came on stage and introduced herself, people were ready to laugh her off the stage, to ridicule her. She was a nobody. And she did not belong in the company of Simon Cowell and other celebrities. However, then Susan sang. And everyone was gobsmacked. She sang the song, I Dreamed a Dream, and her life transformed overnight when it was broadcast on TV. You can see the photo on the left is Susan doing her audition, and on the right, uh, after she got her real success. In her first year of fame, Susan went on to make £5 million. Her debut album is one of the best-selling albums of the 21st century, It was the most pre-ordered album in history at the time. She's performed in front of the Queen several times. There's a musical about her life. There's going to be a film about her life. And in 2010, a Times magazine poll named Susan Boyle the seventh most influential person in the world, 14 places above US President Barack Obama. Susan went from a laughing stock to one of the most watched and listened to people of all time. But she found it very difficult to adjust to this change in her life. It's not been easy for Susan to cope. Today we're looking at the next part of our series on the life of Joseph. and We're going to see how, a bit like Susan, Joseph's life changed overnight. And we'll see how he copes. We're going to see how Joseph's trust in God remained strong in the very worst of times and the best of times. Because we all experience good times and we all experience bad times in our life, don't we? Um, It's interesting to ask the question, what will happen to our faith? 
because there are going to be hard times. I know that so many of us just in this room right now are going through hard times, whether that's illness, death of a loved one, broken relationships, unemployment, job worries, the list goes on. And I'm sure you'll know for you what it is at the moment that you're struggling with. And there's going to be good times, maybe when all seems well. Maybe your health's okay, you're feeling loved, you've got a new job, you've got more money, you're feeling great. And so today, I want us to be inspired to know that our trust in God can and should remain when life feels incredibly hard and when life feels amazingly good. I want us to be prepared for whatever lies ahead or for whatever's in front of us right now. And we're going to listen to what Jesus says to help us. So let's look at the next part of Joseph's life right now. Uh, right now, now. Okay, so it's Genesis chapter 41. This, I've split the chapter because it's so enormous into two chunks. So I'm going to read through the first chunk now and then the next chunk later on. So it's on screen or if you've got a Bible, have a look. Genesis chapter 41. Is that the wrong passage, John? No, it's all right. I think I just haven't changed the top. If it goes all wrong, just listen to me. Okay. So when two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing by the Nile. When out of the river, there came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows, ugly and gaunt, came up out of the river and stood beside those on the riverbank. And the cows that were ugly and gaunt ate up the seven sleek, fat cows. Then Pharaoh woke up. He fell asleep again, and he had a second dream. Seven heads of grain, healthy and good, were growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads of grain sprouted, thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven healthy full heads. Then Pharaoh woke up. It had been a dream. In the morning, his mind was troubled. He sent for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt. Pharaoh told them his dreams, and no one could interpret them for him. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, Today I'm reminded of my shortcomings. Pharaoh was once angry with his servants, and he imprisoned me and the chief baker in the house of the captain of the guard. Each of us had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. Now a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams, and he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dream. And things turned out exactly as he interpreted to us. I was restored to my position, and the other man was impaled. So, Joseph, so Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he'd shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, and no one can interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh. But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. So let's do a little recap Joseph is in prison in Egypt. If this is on Netflix, the previous episode has ended in despair and gloom. You can hear the somber music as the camera pans out, showing Joseph sad, alone, a dirty big beard, 
in chains hundreds of miles away from his family and anyone who worships God. The chief cupbearer, meanwhile, the camera pans to them and they're skipping happily back into the office, forgetting all about Joseph. It had been looking so good. Two of Pharaoh's servants had been sent to prison and Joseph had correctly interpreted their dreams. Surely this was going to lead to Joseph's release from prison. But then life continued as before. Nothing changed. And today we hear at the start of that passage that um, two years has passed. Two years. Now, you could do a lot in two years. Here's a few examples, John, if you could put them on the screen. I've, you could learn a new language in two years. That's the first one. You could go to Israel and do fruit picking. You could get married. You could have a baby. You could learn to drive and pass your driving test. You could learn to become a HGV driver. You could become a nursing associate. Lots of vacancies. You could learn a new musical instrument. That's just a few. The things you could do in two years. But, and so many possibilities. But Joseph has just been in prison doing absolutely nothing. What a waste of time. What a waste of ability and skill. Joseph must have had a few questions for God. And I wonder if you've had experiences just like that, where things have gone wrong and there seems to be nothing good that has come from it. Sometimes we see, don't we, how suffering has led to good things, but often we have absolutely no idea. And there seems to be no hope in sight. And in those times, it can be easy to become hopeless, to become Uh, angry or bitter or resentful and you might expect Joseph to respond just like that in his situation but look what happens when he gets to appear on Egypt's got talent in front of Pharaoh he has a shave he gets some new clothes on this is his big opportunity to escape from jail he stands before Pharaoh on the stage or just in front of him and uh, Pharaoh says can you interpret my dream All eyes on Joseph. It's his big opportunity. And he replies, I can't do it. But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Joseph is still clinging to God. He's still recognising that God is the source of all good things. He's still pointing to him. What a guy. I've got um, a couple of friends who've experienced really intense suffering um, in recent years. Um, but it's affected their faith in different ways. One guy is uh, a friend of mine called Ronan, and many of you might have heard me talk about him. About 13 years ago, my friend Ronan had to deal with the sudden, unexpected death of his wife, uh, Catherine, in her mid-twenties. She died from what they called sudden adult death syndrome. And I saw how Ronan grieved and how he wrestled with the deep pain and questions that he was experiencing. But I was amazed to see how Ronan clung to God despite his questions. And I've got another friend who's also experienced some really hard things in his life, but has not been able to make sense of it alongside his faith. In fact, he's stopped following Jesus. And so it left me thinking, how would I respond if something like that happened to me? So there's suffering for us to prepare for, 
that we might be going through right now, but there's also danger in success. Let's see what happened next. Now, this is where there's a blooper with my slides because I've got John's passage from last week, and I don't think we need to redo that. So um, I'm just going to read this out. Like I say, if you've got your Bible, open at chapter 41, verse 17. Go for it. If not, just sit back, relax, uh, and uh, I'll read to you. This is long, so um, I'm going to take some pauses and try to um, be as enthusiastic as I can in adding some, uh, emo- you know, read Pizzazz. Thanks, Pizzazz. <laughs> Um, okay, then Pharaoh said to Joseph, so he's appeared before jo- Joseph, uh, he's appearing before Pharaoh. In my dream, and then he goes on to talk about the dream. Now, we've all heard the dream, so I'm not going to read that bit out. So he tells him what the dream said. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he's about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads of grain are seven years. It is one and the same dream. The seven lean, ugly cows that came up afterwards are seven years, and so are the seven worthless heads of grain scorched by the east wind. They are seven years of famine. It is just as I said to Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt, but seven years of famine will follow. Then all the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten and the famine will ravage the land. The abundance in the land will not be remembered because the famine that follows it will be so severe. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God and God will do it soon. And now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. Still with me? Okay. Yeah, good, great. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there's no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot as his second in command and people shouted before him, make way. Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but without your word, no one will lift hand or foot in all Egypt. Pharaoh gave Joseph the name Zaphanath Paniah and gave him Asenath, daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, to be his wife. And Joseph went throughout the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, And Joseph went out from Pharaoh's presence and traveled throughout Egypt. 
During the seven years of abundance, the land produced plentifully. Joseph collected all the food produced in those seven years of abundance in Egypt and stored it in the cities. Each city, he put the food grown in the fields surrounding it. Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain, like the sand of the sea. It was so much that he stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure. Before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by Asenath, daughter of Potiphar, priest of On. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, it's because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. The second son he named Ephraim and said, it's because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. We're nearly there. The seven years of abundance in Egypt came to an end and seven years of famine began just as Joseph had said. There was famine in all the other lands, but in the whole land of Egypt, there was food. When all Egypt began to feel the famine, the people cried to Pharaoh for food. Then Pharaoh told all the Egyptians, go to Joseph, he and do what he tells you. When the famine had spread over the whole country, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe throughout Egypt. And all the world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe everywhere. There you go. So the famine was severe. I think we got that message, didn't we? Um, So Joseph has had a shave and he's got some new clothes. But this is just the start. After he interprets Pharaoh's dreams, explaining about the seven good years are going to come, then there'll be seven years of famine, telling him what to do. He's not only given a get-out-of-jail-free card, he gets a new job. He becomes the second most powerful person in the country. Can you imagine going on BBC News tomorrow morning and seeing someone's been released from Strangeways Prison in Manchester? And then later on in the day, you go back on and you see the same guy who's just come out of prison is now the Deputy Prime Minister. But Joseph had far more power than anyone in our government. He gets Pharaoh's signet ring. He gets robes of linen. He swaps his prison chains for a gold chain. People had to make way, bow down wherever he went. He gets given an Egyptian name. He gets to marry into an influential family. And he has his own kids. Uh, The next uh, slide shows the place where Joseph's father-in-law lives. It said priest of On. On is in Egypt, also known as Heliopolis. Heliopolis, uh, that's a, that, what's the name of that? An obelisk or something? Um, that's, what is it? Obelisk, thank you, His, history expert. Um, so uh, that's from that general era, I understand, in Heliopolis, which is on the map halfway down. Um, it's a real place. That is where his father-in-law was the priest. So it's likely he certainly went there for some family gatherings. If not, uh, maybe he hung out there and lived there. So... Um, so he's really embedded in Egypt. Um, if ever there was an example of hitting the good times, surely this is it. And it reminds me of somebody else. I don't know if it reminds you of somebody else. John, let's see who it is. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Now, depending on how old you are, you may or may not know about Arnold. He was originally from Austria. Um, He had an abusive family life, a difficult relationship with his brother. In some ways, there are lots of similarities to Joseph. But Arnie 
found stardom and success in America as a bodybuilder, hence the photo on the top left. Then, after smashing the world as a bodybuilder, he became a film star. Uh, there's lots of other films, but I chose Twins to show you that with Danny DeVito. Um, so, that, so he got into film, and he, uh, was, um, he got lots of awards for that. And then after that, he got into politics, uh, and he succeeded in that, becoming the governor of California. Um, he also, like Joseph, married into an influential family in America. And I watched a documentary about him this week, which is why he's been on my mind. Um, and in the film, what really struck me was Arnie talks about how he tried to forget everything about Austria, where he was from. He cut his ties. He moved on. He didn't want to remember life back there now that things were going so well in his new life. And you can understand how Joseph might have done just the same. He could have embraced all things Egyptian. Uh, you'd expect Joseph might have worshipped the Egyptian gods. He might have uh, done anything he could to forget both his old life and the god he worshipped then, the days before he became such a powerful guy. After all, Joseph's dad is a priest to the sun god. Or maybe Joseph would have at least forgotten about his own faith and beliefs. But look at how central God is still in Joseph's life. He chooses to call his sons Hebrew names that reflect his faith in God. The older son uh, has a, well, potentially a rather unfortunate name of forget. Um, and the younger is called twice fruitful. And it went on to explain in that passage how he named them that because God had made him forget all his trouble back home. And because God had made him fruitful in the land of his suffering. Joseph wanted to forget the pain of life back home, but he didn't forget God. He might have picked a classic Egyptian name, not sure if it was popular at the time, but Tutankhamun or another name. But God was central to who he was and he wanted to reflect that. And it's interesting as well, there's no mention of any revenge for his old boss, who's got a very similar name to his father-in-law, Potiphar, not the same guy, and his wife, those people who got him chucked into jail. I imagine they were quaking in their boots when they heard their old staff member was now the second most powerful person in Egypt. None of us want to suffer, and we all want to be successful in life. We want to have the money that we need, we want to have uh, family, friends, popularity or recognition, whatever it is, and yet there is a real danger when we have all we need as well. That can be difficult. The Bible is full of examples of God's people forgetting him when things go well. Jesus uh, used these words as a warning. He said, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So how incredible that Joseph continued to treasure God from the worst suffering and he continued to treasure God in the heights of success. And that can be true for us as well. But how? How can we have a faith that uh, survives through those different times? And when I, as I was thinking about that and as I was preparing for this section, I struggled to know 
uh, how to approach it because I want to be careful uh, not to seem too simplistic that in 45 seconds I'm just going to dish out three bullet points and that's how your faith's going to withstand whatever comes ahead. But I was struck by what Jesus said to his disciples in one of his final teaching sessions. It's in John 15 and 16. It's one of his final teaching sessions to his disciples. Jesus um, knew that hard times were coming. And so he told the disciples things that would help them not to go astray. And uh, we're going to look here at one part of it. So this is just the first section of that teaching that Jesus gives. Uh, I'm not going to read it all, but hopefully you'll see there is a pattern which I'm uh, pointing out to you in the instructions. I'm just going to read some of the repetition to you. So these are the things that Jesus says that they need to do. Remain in me. Remain in me. Remain in me. Remain in me. And he goes on. Remain in me. Later on, remain in my love. Remain in my love. Love each other. Love each other. And a bit later in that passage, um, Jesus ends with, with the following words, which I think Vic shared when she spoke a few weeks ago. Uh, Jesus says this, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Isn't that an incredible promise? We, we know, we don't need to be told that in the world we're going to have trouble. But whatever's happening in the world, we, we can know that in him, in Jesus, we can have peace. Just over um, a year ago, I was uh, in hospital. I was only there for the day, uh, but I was there all day. And I was lying on a bed, and I couldn't help overhearing the conversation that was taking place uh, across the ward from me, another man on a bed over there. And the conversation was between him and the doctor. And different doctors and people would come and chat to him. And so uh, if, I don't know if you've ever been in hospital for very long, but you certainly, it's very boring, isn't it? So you end up listening to everyone else's conversations. So I was uh, deeply engrossed in these conversations. And what had happened is this man had been beaten up. That's why he was in hospital. And as part of uh, the, what had happened, it damaged several internal organs. He'd managed to make it to the hospital and he'd got some treatment. But now he wanted to go home. And I kept hearing the doctors and the other staff telling him he needed to stay at hospital. It was, they said it wasn't safe for him to go home. As he needed to, they needed to continue treating him, helping him to heal. Because he was very poorly. But he was adamant that he wanted to leave and go home. And I actually looked at my notes in my phone. I wrote down uh, lots of my experiences in hospital. But I remember he kept saying this quote, I'd, I'd sooner go home and take the chance. I remember he kept saying that. I'd, I'd sooner go home. I'd sooner go home and take the chance. And they were, they were becoming more and more blunt with him and saying, you need to stay here. You need this treatment. You need us to help you. I remember thinking, what utter madness. Stay in the hospital. And we need to stay in Jesus. We might feel the pull to go our own way. 
Things might be so difficult, but like this man, that's madness. Whether all around us seems to be falling apart or it's going better than it ever has, we need Jesus. And we need to love one another, as Jesus reminded us there, by doing all we can to help us to stay in Jesus. Help us to stay focused on Jesus, worshipping him, enjoying Jesus. For some of us, we might feel abandoned or confused or things are just incredibly painful right now. And I'm going to pray that we would know God's comfort and peace if that's what we're going through. For others, perhaps we feel like we're on a good run. We feel blessed and we praise God for those times and for those things. But I'll pray that God would help us to rejoice in him, not in our circumstances. And then some of us might feel in the middle. Actually, things are all right. They're not that extreme. And so I pray that God would prepare us for whatever lies ahead. It says in uh, another book in the Bible, in Ephesians, it says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes.